Say the name of the company for me. Ferio Tego. Ferio. Ferio Tego. Tego. Ferio Tego. Boy, I, I think this morning in the shower I said it six different ways in my yeah. head. Let me hear all of them. Ferrario Tegao. Great. No. Ferio Fiero Tigo. That one I hear a lot. Not correct. <laughs> now you're going to mess me up. What is it? Ferio Tego. Ferio Tego. Ferio Tego. There's a story inside every smoke shop with every cigar and with every person. Come be a part of the cigar lifestyle of Boveda. This is Box Press. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Box Press. I am your host, Rob Gagne. I'm at 2021's PCA show and I am sitting next to Michael Hurtlocks. Now, the name is not just the myth and the legend, but he is a legend. But he's here now with his brand new brand, Ferio Tego. Michael, thank you so much. Ferio Tego, good to see you, my friend. Yes. You good? I'm great. 9 a.m. in Las Vegas. We yeah. Gotta be, we got to be the only people up We are at about this point, the right? only people. This is it. Yeah. yeah, people with kids, people that get up early, yes, and insomniacs, and and people with right interviews now. at nine a.m. Yeah, a. M. yeah. thanks for booking this at nine. Well, by the way, in Las Vegas, that was thoughtful. You have really a appreciate that busy bro. schedule, man. You told me. No, you're right. You're right. I signed up for this. There's three people at my booth. You said, and earlier would be better. So I said, well, let's just crack at it in I the morning. This was perfect, and we I got, can't thank you enough for having. We got having coffee. Me. We got cigars. We're smoking the Prestige. Timeless Prestige. Timeless Prestige. This is great in this format. Is well, this really popular format? Uh, well, in a 6x38, you know, I would think this would just rule the world. As it turns out, nobody wants this format at all except for you, me, and like seven other people. <laughs> um, so as we bring back Timeless Prestige, unfortunately, we're not leading with the 6x38 uh, Especiale. But in 2022, we are going to bring this back. Great. Well, the 2% sales will go to us. us. Exactly. (laughs) That's it. There's so much to talk about with you and what's going on. And you have so many years of experience. Just for my consumers and and the people watching this show that may not be listening to the KMA interviews that you do and all the other ones, what I love about your journey the most is that you started out as a consumer at 19, moved into working retail, moved into managing a retail store, moved into being a basically, what would you say, the VP of Nat Sherman, so that role is very much all encompassing on the manufacturer side. So retail, or consumer retail manufacturing, who else in this industry has that breath? I I don't know. Um, Not a lot. And that's a that's a poor answer, uh, but what 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 I've appreciated about my own journey yeah. is um, I I come from a small town. I come from a family of hardworking folks. What small town? Where? Northeast Connecticut. It's called Danielson, Connecticut. Very small town. Um, but I was brought up with this idea that you are not. You're not entitled to something. You have to work for it, and you work hard. And I mean, I was I was so excited to get a job at 15 and 10 months because that's when you could get your first job. 15 and, and 10 months. 15 and 10 months. You could do uh, driver's ed, 
and you could get your first gig, your first job. Right. And for me, that was, I just couldn't wait to work. Um, what made and, you want to work? What about school? I went to school. Yeah, I mean, I, you were, but like, wanted, school didn't excite you. You wanted to no, get out school, and do school stuff. excited me. Music excited me. Like, all those things. But I just, I wanted a job. I wanted to, I, don't, I wanted to transact. All my, all my jobs were always retail customer facing. I worked in a pharmacy. I worked in a donut shop. Uh, you know, I, there's something about that engagement. The, the fundamental basic piece of taking someone's money and putting it in a cash register and giving them some change and saying thank you, that, that basic I gotta kind ask, of thing right is there? great. When you did that, did you do it like perfectly? You gave them exact change back always? I gave them everything they were entitled to, or more. You I want to know what I did? Them. You stuck it in your pocket? I rounded, I rounded up. And you put it in your tip jar? No, <laughs> I rounded up. I was just like, this is, this is uh, I'm not going to grab, you know, four pennies. I'm just going to give you a nickel and a dime. By the t end of the day, my till was short $4.13. My manager had to sit down and talk to me. And she goes, what is going on? And I go, oh, I just was rounding up. I thought it was more efficient. She goes, yeah, no, we're a publicly traded company. We got to count for every dollar. No, I was, I was to the penny. The only thing I would do, though, is try and upsell. Like, if I knew it was going to oh, yeah. be like 801, I'd be like, why don't you throw a munchkin in the till? It's like another 60 cents and... Uh, yeah. And then I'd round them up, and but I'd upsell. you would be jingling with all this exactly. change in your pocket. But I'd upsell. But uh, back to your, your question. My, my journey, um, in hindsight looking back, what I appreciate about my experience is the fact that I've... I've been able to do every job. Right. The, there was no, um, there was no visions of grandeur walking in. I didn't, I didn't uh, say, I, I want to, I want to own a cigar company when I was 19. I, right. I started in the business as a passionate hobbyist that couldn't afford the hobby, as a music student. No so, one can when they so first start. I had to get opinion. a job, and so I got the job in cigars because I figured that was the best way to do my hobby and not have to pay because I couldn't afford it. And over the years, as my, as my jobs have changed, my, um, those opportunities have evolved, in my head, I'm still a passionate hobbyist. Right. You know, I'm just 41 now instead of <laughs> 19. And so, you know, my, uh, my excitement for just having a job has evolved a little bit too. Now I need to make sure I pay my pay right. for my house and do all the extras. Uh, but it, but it comes from the same place. And when I look back now over 22 years in the industry, the fact that I spent I spent six years in the same job, like no promotion, no extra button or badge. I did retail sales for six years no promotion you know what i mean i just there did the job there is no promotion unless you want to manage the store in my opinion right and that There's role no wasn't promotion. open yeah my right. boss had it and exactly. so that meant that's it that's the job and i think for for a lot of young people today there is this need for constant uh badges and trophies and that's a good point but the need to try to climb that corporate ladder or whatever ladder system for promotions or increases in pay for millennials, 
they have a short attention span. Yeah. But for that. But the but the fact is that's not the way the world works, at least not the world that I grew up in. And well, so if if I show up to work in the same job today that I had yesterday and I get a check, you don't owe me anything else. You know no. what I mean? That's the contract. Right. That's it. And it's my job to exceed your expectations in a way that you look at me and say, I need this guy to stay. That's key. And this guy's going to grow. And that also means that I was fortunate enough to have managers with, with um, balanced egos where they weren't afraid to promote me. Yeah. Right? And to get that behind me. Because yeah. I wasn't out to eat their lunch. I wasn't out for their job. I just want to do my job and I want to get paid for it and I want to deliver and I want to exceed your expectations. That was just, that's what I want to do. And exceeding, that six years. Yeah, exceeding the, the expectations to me is the most important part because Drew Emmer, one of the guys that works for us, he said it really well. I always want Bovida to get more out of me than what they pay me for. I want you as the employer to get more than what you pay me for always. Always. Because if it's the opposite, you might be on the chopping block. I had a, when I got to Nat Sherman, our first store director that I hired was a very good friend of mine um, that used to own a, they used to run a steakhouse called Rothman's. His name is Pat Felitti. And we were right around performance review time and there were a couple people who were very disappointed because they had uh, met expectations. And that's where they lived, meets expectations, which is right. not a bad review, right? No. And you meet expectations, it's great. you're doing your job. And uh, one of these, one of the employees, this is like 2011, one of the employees was like, yeah, but, yeah, but I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. And Pat goes, congratulations, you don't get extra credit for doing your job. <laughs> you want extra credit, you have to do extra. And that stuck with me forever after I heard him say those words. You don't get extra credit for doing your job. That's right. Yeah. And I think about that, I apply that to, to this. So... I work really hard to create a blend that's unique, that smokes great, that burns great, that tastes great, that's the same every year, and that is meeting expectations. You know what I mean? I don't get extra credit for making, making great cigars every year. That's not enough. The only way we get extra credit is to do more and exceed expectations. It's a hard thing to do in this business, man. So that resonates with me because the typical marketing jargon is quality and consistency. If you're not doing quality and consistency for your cigar brand in this market, probably shouldn't be in it. Because that's can't doing be your it. job. You can't be in it. <laughs> yeah, right. And you won't be, by the right. way. No, yeah. Even if you think you should be, the, the general voting population with their, with their wallets and pocketbooks right. will make sure that you are no longer in the business. Exactly. It's, that's true. it's a foundation to what you need to do, but it is not, like you said, extra credit. <laughs> right. And then, so how do you earn the extra credit? Right. That's the hard part in, our, in this business. Well, answer your own question because you, of all people, would be in the best seat to answer that. How would you earn extra credit with the consumer? Is it I, the I, band? Well, is it the I artwork? Think, I think everyone, that's, that's the extra. So if everyone's making good cigars, and 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 they are, I mean let's face it, there are mm. great cigars in every booth on this floor. There Let me are tell great you too, cigars. great cigars with bad bands. 
Could you know be what I mean? Bad bands could be good, but artistically, you know what I mean. I'm not going to talk about good or bad. Is. There it are, is. There are great cigars in every booth right. in this show. So, how do you ex exceed expectations? I think gets into what that what that brand proposition is. Um, for me, and I think I applied this as I worked for Nat Sherman for 10 years, and I'm certainly applying it now with Ferry Otego. Um, I really believe in honesty and clarity and authenticity. That is our driving force. This, I, as much as I love um, the romance and fanfare of stories from a marketing perspective, sure. Um, for us, that gets a little thick. Yeah. And what we are doing now, especially as Ferry Otego, but I, but we did it to a large degree at Nat Sherman International too, is leading with gratitude first. Yeah. Honesty, transparency, and and um, humility. Uh, a little bit of grace, a little bit of elegance, and and what you see is what you get with us. You know, there's no secrets. We're we're open. We're truthful. We're honest. We're hardworking, um, and and we are hopefully dependable. And we're going to continue to do the same thing we did last year, the same thing we did five years ago. You're going to get next year and the year after that, because when you are completely honest, transparent, and authentic. It's awfully easy to be consistent. Yep. You know, when you start putting the layers of paint and trying to craft new messaging, and then you have to stay on your talking points and you have to remember what you're supposed to say, it's a lot of work. And I'm not willing to do it. You yeah. know what I mean? I would much rather just be honest, keep people up to date, allow the product to speak for, for itself, give credit where credit's due. I didn't roll this. You know, I I helped I helped create it, but the 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 Casada family makes this. This is their tobacco. They roll it. I'm not you know Don Miguel Herklotz. I'm I'm, I'm Michael <laughs> Herklotz. I'm a I'm a gringo that lives in, in New Jersey. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't wear guayaberas. That's ridiculous. Yeah, no. I don't wear a Panama hat. I, you know, I don't stand in in the middle of a field and smell green leaves. Like none of that is authentic to me. What's authentic to me is the relationships I've built over 22 years and developing product that I believe is great and then relying on the people that know it best to continue to produce it and, and get behind me and we deliver that to market and people continue to buy it. It's as authentic and honest and, and transparent as I can get, you know? With a retailer, that honesty part is key. But where do you feel like sometimes companies might slip on, slip up in honesty with a retailer that hurts the retailer the most, or the consumer? You can translate that either way, like a brand that really wasn't completely honest about something, and then ultimately the end consumer has to pay for it. Um, I don't want to answer that in any way that would be disparaging to another company, but Correct. but. One thing that I think is so unique about our business, there are lots of, of um, similarities and adjacencies to the wine world. 
Yeah. But in the wine world, there are governing bodies of the industry that require a certain level of transparency. You have to disclose your alcohol content. You have to disclose uh, some level of blend if you want to call yourself a particular wine, right? It right. has to be X percent Sangiovese or it has to be X percent Cabernet to be Basically X. the terroir, where it's from. But there's right? a, there, are, there, are, there are qualifying criteria for you to claim right. that what you say is what it is. Well, we don't have that. Right. And, and so, for a fact, there is a lot of marketing license that is allowed to be taken when you are talking about product, whether you're talking about seed or you're talking about uh, blend. And the reality is that it's our job to keep the blend the same every year despite the fact that the ingredients change, right? So what we say it was when we launched is probably very different than what it is eight years later because you have to adapt to keep the experience the same, the blend changes, but we don't update that. We, we, we tend to say that it's the same from a marketing ingredient standpoint. And so that starts bending truth, which is totally cool. But the problem is, as consumers have really uh, embraced the idea of connoisseurship and trying to, trying to learn and memorize the facts and then equate that to experience, the reality is that in some cases, consumers are learning false information because right. what they're applying as fact that that uh, a drying effect on the palate or, or a uh, or a dark ash equals this particular tobacco or magnesium in the soil or all these right. things. The reality is that those facts have changed over time, but you've memorized and, and memorialized in your brain that that little factoid applies to this little tidbit of information. And so you, you, you learn wrong information. Right. And now the problem is you share wrong yeah. information because it, it only takes about six months to be an expert. You know what I mean? That's really all you need. You need three or four reviews, you need to smoke a handful of cigars, and you need a small population of followers before you become the provider of information. And right. so now that information starts being shared based on wrong facts, and before you know it, this very educated population is educated with the wrong information. Right. That's problematic. Yeah. So, going back to your question. Yes. The need for transparency and honesty I'm not. I'm not uh, disparaging anyone who takes a different strategy, but for us, we need as much open transparency, not just so people understand our product, but so that we are educating a consumer base with real information. Right. And as long as, if our consumers are really educated with the right information and the right set of facts and our retail partners are educated with the right set of facts, that's a much healthier environment for us to win in. Right. Blending, to me, is a hard aspect to get around. You have many years of experience. Do you remember the first day you went to try to figure out how to do blending? 
Were you nervous? So, when I was 24, um, I started going down to the Dominican Republic. The general manager of Davidoff at the time, guy David Kitchens, great mentor of mine, he used to go down every year on vacation and spend time with the Casada family. And one day he's like, well, come on this trip. Just come, take five days off, come with me. And you know, I had no money. He's like, don't worry about it, I'll, I'll help you out. Just cover your flights, I'll pay for your hotel. And he was really generous. So it was a personal trip, not it was a work trip. trip. It, no, no, it was vacation. And I went down and I spent time with the Casadas, and we just hung out in the factory. And that was my vacation, it was just hanging out, smoking cigars. Were you married at the time? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. 24. I was 24. I was a kid, man. I was single, and and uh, it just sounded like a, a great idea, and I was grateful for the opportunity. Yeah. And that really turned into this, what has now become a very a very special relationship with the Casadas. And they, they are my family. I give that as context because what, what they would do when we would go down there is just simple things like, hey, taste this. Taste this. Oh, we're, we're working on this. We're playing with this. Taste this. And I've always been um, driven to figure out the why in everything. So I would taste something and, and ask, well, why is, it, why is it spicy? Why is it strong? Why, why does this suck? I like you know, your style. I don't like this. Why does this suck? Yeah. And that, that push to get to the why really um, allowed me to learn this kind of cause and effect piece. My brain so, works the same way. I have to know why so I can be more educated on what to do with that. Right. It's not so necessarily I don't a mistake. I'm questioning, are you sure? It's okay, but why? And then, okay, great. So now I know and I can adjust when that happens. So it was not a deliberate, today is uh, July 12th and I'm going to start blending today and let's figure out how this organically. works. It was incredibly organic and it was it was really because the Casadas were so generous and open about just allowing me to learn on their time with their tobacco with their right. people um, and so as time went on uh, I mean one of the things that really stands out when the Casadas were going to do the Casada 35th I heard this story so it was like 2008 9 something they kept it a secret from Manuel Yes, but they called me. I, I will never forget. I was in New York at my desk, Davidoff Madison Avenue, phone rings. It's Raquel and Patricia, and they say, um, it was like a Tuesday. And they're like, you need to come to Santiago on, on Friday. And I was like, oh, my God, Manolo's sick. You know, oh. what, what happened? And they're like, no, 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 no. Everyone's fine. Everything's, everything's fine, but we need you to come down this weekend and I was close with the girls and the and the young ones as Manolo calls them and I was like okay and they're like but don't tell our dad and I'm like what is going on here yeah. <laughs> you know, this is not good so I show up they pick me up in the airport now I've been going down for five years six years at this point they've never picked me up at the airport they pick me up at the airport I get in the car no one's saying anything I'm like what the hell is going on <laughs> like what am i doing here what's going on yeah we show up now where, where the factory is today was a a uh tobacco warehouse and processing facility we show up there 
I get out of the car. The whole crew of young ones is there. I sit down. I was like, would someone please tell me why am I here and what's going on? And they said, okay, we want to do a cigar. We want to do it under the Casada name. We want to make it different. You need to help. What do we do? And they had all these bales open. There were like three employees that were there that were moving bales over for us to taste. And I was like, holy. Okay, let's let's start. And we smoked crazy tobaccos. And, uh, and we actually said, okay, here's what we have to do first is make sure that this does not taste like a typical Fonseca SAG product. Yeah. So we started with... Uh, unfermented tobacco like let's start with this this just came in out of the field so let's let's smoke this and taste it raw and figure out if that doesn't taste like what the cigars typically taste like out of this factory and that's where we're gonna start I think three of us threw up almost immediately because oh it was God. high ammonia high nicotine yeah it was a terrible idea but <laughs> but it allowed us to taste something in the building that didn't taste like everything else had tasted. Right. That was probably the, the first, the best learning experience was working on that product because we figured it out together, the whys. We lit up that tobacco. Why don't we use unfermented tobacco? I know, it makes <laughs> you vomit, right? But we got to experience the why. We had real discovery. Right. But then we also realized that there was some unique flavor act uh, in some of that young tobacco. So we started playing with it, like just a little piece, a quarter of a leaf in the middle to change the profile in a really dynamic way sure. that when you add all these other brilliant tobaccos and that one little piece that is so different, it takes the experience of this cigar and, and completely made it new and different when you compare it through the lens of everything that had come out of that factory before. Sure. So learning those whys, hands-on, on a Saturday afternoon, throwing up, <laughs> was the greatest blending tutorial of my life. I love and it. And then from there, it was, then we were on a roll. Then we also had Manolo's blessing and buy-in after he was a little angry. Yeah. After we presented. Um, so then the work it wasn't my job, but I still got to participate with the Casadas. Sure. When I did join Nat Sherman, and it was time to really resurrect what had been a highly respected um, but but uh, nostalgic brand, when it was time to take this to a new direction, because of the Casadas' generosity and allowing me to play and allowing me to participate. First of all, they were the first ones I went to. Right. And. It, in fact, this is the first blend we did. Really? Was the, was the Prestige, this blend. And it was... Phenomenal. It was number 10 Cigar of the Year, Cigar Aficionado, the, the year we released it. Incredible, man. And that 35th anniversary... Was dynamite. You, yeah, it was dynamite. You also said something very interesting, which I want to clarify is, they said they wanted to put their name on it. At this time... They did not have Casada on a cigar name. Ever. So not only are you keeping the secret from Manuel, you're putting the Casada name on a cigar that he's not advising, and you're trying to create a brand new blend, like you said, that doesn't taste like anything else in their lineup. Yep. 
that's three major hitters that you got to hit out of the park. So that was 08, maybe? Yeah. I was 28. I had never been in that country without Manola's blessing. We put all this together on Saturday and Sunday. Manolo has no idea I'm there. And we decide Monday we are going to present. Because I said, there's no way we're just going to like pitch this idea. We have to present. So we put together a PowerPoint to present this idea to Manolo. And I was leaving Monday afternoon. So we get to the factory early before Manolo, which is early. Because Manolo gets to the factory <laughs> early. And I'm sitting in this conference room, having a coffee, completely shaking in my boots. Like, what is going to happen when he walks in? Manolo walks in the factory. And I can hear his voice, which is this booming, thunderous, incredible voice. Yeah. And he walks by the conference room and he goes, hello. And then he walks back and he goes, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> and I was like, Manolo, don't be mad. Hold on a second. We got a little thing. He turns around, Raquel and Pacha are there. They're like, Papi, hold on. He just goes into his office, closes the door. So I'm like, okay, this is where we're starting. So I went into his office and I was like, Manolo. We want to present you with something. And he's like, in his classic Manolo, shaking his leg, looking at me. He's like, okay. 10 o'clock. It was like 7. I was like, can, you know, do you have, do you have time now? He's like, 10 o'clock. All right, 10 o'clock. So we suffered in this conference room for like two hours until 10 o'clock. He came in and we presented the whole thing and why we did it and apologizing for showing up and we have these blends and we want you to taste them and we want to do this different and it has to be cassada, the whole thing. And he goes, okay, thank you very much. And he stood up and he left the room. He didn't give you an that affirmation was, that or was a blessing, it. nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I'm like, oh. well now what? And now I gotta go to the airport. I haven't even had got a hug from this guy, you know what I mean? So I, I finally, I like, I went into his office, I'm like, Manolo, we have to leave and uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. And he's like, son, I'm proud of you. But don't ever do this again. <laughs> and I was like, got it. I'm, I'm going to go to the airport. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and that was it. But man, <clears throat> what that did, it, it really, um, I think it affirmed to Manolo that his time and his, his hard love over all those years forcing people to learn the hard way, it paid off. And we, we did deliver. We did, and we exceeded his expectations. Oh, yeah. And so much so that he made a blend that he wanted his 30, after we pitched the idea, he decided to make a blend. We did a tasting at Davidoff in New York with Gordon Mott and Dave Savona. Oh. Blind tasting of our blend and Manolo's blend for 35th blind tasting and we sat upstairs in this beautiful little lounge that we had on in the Davidoff store and Manolo said one of these blends is the young ones and one of these blends is us uh, the old ones yeah. and him and I want your opinion before we launched something he wanted Savona and uh, Gordon Mott's opinion on these blends we did a blind tasting and we won and he said son of a bitch <laughs> Great. And that's the blend we went with, and it was incredible. That's great. Incredible. People still talk about that blend today. I think I have five left. Wow. Five sticks. And I look at it, for me, I look at that as, that's like, um, 
It's like looking at a yearbook. Right. You know what I mean? Every time I look at it, I'm, I'm transported back to that moment in time. You know, we're now in hindsight, we're 20, I was 28. You know what I mean? Raquel was probably 30. Right. We, we were kids. We had no kids. business doing that. But and I just want to clarify, Manuel is his proper name, and you guys call him as family members Manolo. That's like his nickname, right? His father. So Manolo is the as this is this is the way Manolo says it, which is I can hear him saying it. Manolo and then Manolito, these are diminutives of a proper name. So Michael, Mike, Mikey. Right. Manuel, Manolo. Manolito is the is the same thing. So got it. Manolo is the diminutive, familiar version of Manuel. Got it. Like Robert for me, people call me Rob. And then Rob, and then Bobby or Robbie. Right. Right. Those are it depends so how how familiar you get. Right. So M Manolo is a very familiar way of saying Manuel's name. Yeah, because my cousins call me Robbie. And you want to punch him in the throat every... No, no I love it. I love it. Like you said, it's like... Uh, it's that closeness. It's yeah. that endearment of like... Yeah. You knew me when I was, you know, crapping my pants and running around trying to keep Dude, up with everyone. It's funny, man. When I hear someone... When someone calls me Mike... And I don't care what you call me. You know, no problem. But when someone calls me Mike, for me, that's like... This is someone from high school. Right. For sure. Right. Because I was always Mike. If someone calls me Herc, Herc was college. Oh. So when someone calls me Herc, I'm like, Herc. dude, who's here? Who's here from who's, Boston? You yeah. know what I mean? And also Herc, for some reason, the Ashton crew, they all call me Herc. And there's like a handful of other people that call me Herc. But Herc is like so specific. If someone calls me Herc, that's like a that's like, an, that's an inside baseball. You're ready to get like yeah. a shot thrown in your face. Cool. And let's go. Let's totally. go party. And if someone calls me Mikey, that was my first year at Davidoff. People called me Mikey. If someone calls me Mikey... Like, who's from Davidoff? <laughs> right. That's, that's a very specific moment in time. That's so interesting. Yeah. In high school... Yep. And grade school. So, we're just transitioning into high school, but I went to two different grade schools. Both private Catholic schools. At one, I was Robbie Gagner, which is not the French way to say my last name. It's Gagné. So I corrected that when I went to the new school in 7th and 8th grade. I was Rob Gagne. This was part of my growing out of my adolescence. So it's Robbie Gagner, Rob Gagne. We go to high school, the two schools now meet, right? They're both Catholic schools. We're going to a Catholic high school. And somebody says, oh, do you know Robbie Gagner? And they go, no, but I know Rob Gagne the same person it's me <laughs> and they come to eventually find out like oh that we we're were talking about the, about same, the same person that was me i just found that very interesting that you try to graduate your name to a more refined and mature person well i will tell you what what that example highlights for me is what i experienced when i went to college you get very few moments in life where you can reset right where you show up to a completely new audience and in that moment you can you can be anything right you want to be when i grew up um i was i was always into theater and music and and acting but i was a pretty shy guy I, really I, yeah i was i was okay getting on a stage 
no problem. I could jump on a stage and play and, the and drums, perform, whatever, Fine. acting, yeah. singing, okay. no problem. Three people are having a conversation on the other side of the room. There is absolutely no way I'm walking over and introducing myself. None. I will stay by myself. I would totally think somebody who enjoys sales would not be that way. Well, so, but it's different. When you're sales, you're on stage. Right? I'm in character. When I'm See, behind a register. I'm not. It's just me. I want to have that conversation with those three people over there because I find it interesting. I and I'll go it. seek it. I couldn't do it See? unless I unless I was in costume and character. So if that's part of my job, I can do it no no problem at all. But if I'm if I'm off the clock, just me as an eighth grader, and those are four people having a conversation, I don't know them. There's no way I'm going in. But sure. I didn't want to be that way, and I okay. knew that I could jump on a stage without without paralyzing stage fright. I knew I could jump into character and 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 perform and do all those things it was something about that that I just had a problem with when I got to college so I grew up in a small town and uh, I was a I was a big fish in a small pond musically right. I, I was I was the drummer I got all the gigs we performed a lot uh, it was it was great I remember getting to college and I was also in a small town where my father grew up my grandfather grew up so if I said Herklotz people would say oh your dad's your dad's Dr. Herklotz. Your grandfather uh, right. it was at the college. He owned the newspaper, right? All this. Yeah. When I got to when I got to college, I remember I was in line for registration, and they were like, "Name," and I said Herklotz, and they said, "Could you spell that?" And I realized it was probably one of the first times someone asked me to spell my name, and it was a light bulb. Oh wow! Because I was like, "No one knows me. This is totally new." Like, if I started speaking in a British accent right now, no one would have any reason to think that I'm not from England. You right. know what I mean? Right. Um, and that was a moment for me where I was like, okay, shy is over. I get to, I get to start fresh, no bias, no preconceived ideas. So Michael Herklotz at Berkeley is going to be a very different person than Mike Herklotz from Killingly. And so I know I can do it. I'm going to do it. And I became way more outgoing, way more engaging, way more social. Because perfect I wasn't timing. Perfect timing. You get that reset. Just like, just like you. Yes. One quick change in pronunciation of your last name allowed you to take on something different, right? Evolve a little, polish a little. Right. And and continue on. You're not different, but you're just kind of fine-tuning and tweaking. Exactly. As you go. I I think that's it's such a unique opportunity for folks that a lot of people don't take the opportunity to see when there is the opportunity right. for a reset. You got to see it. And a restart. You have to see it. Yeah. And for for me, I was Boston Michael, Berkeley Michael was very different than New York Michael. When I moved to New York and started working for Davidoff, that was another one of those resets. That was nine years of my life at Davidoff. When I joined Nat Sherman, that was another moment. It was like, okay, Nat Sherman, Michael Herklotz will be different than Davidoff, Michael Herklotz. So you tweak and you polish and you figure out, right, what's the I next chapter. And now here we are, Ferry Otego, Michael Herklotz. I'm completely out of ideas. So what you see <laughs> is what you get. But I think it's those are really important It's still too new. Moments. We don't know what we're going to get. That's right. And we're still evolving. Let's face right. it. Right. Yeah, you're selling a ton here at the show. <laughs> Bro, let me tell you, we are, we are the only booth at this show with nothing to sell 
no prices, no product, no samples. I have nothing but hugs, stories, and uh, you know. So you go to a trade show with no inventory. Yep. No price sheet. Mm -mm. And none. Just to set the record straight for everyone out there, that's probably the number one thing people walk around and ask for. Can I get your price list? And a sample. I don't have one. And Do a they sample. just look at you like? Did you show up to the show? Well, let's let's be let's be clear. This was not plan A. No. Right? I was not thinking four years ago, I mean four months ago, I got this great idea. Trade show, we're gonna show up with nothing. That was not plan A. But while uh, I'm sure everyone can appreciate the fact that production requires a certain amount of agility and flexibility, particularly at the tail end of a pandemic, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. However, th this organization was not as flexible. So when I said, you know what, we're about 45 days late. Do you think we could push this trade show to like <laughs> September 15th? Just for you? Yeah, they, they oh, said yeah, no. no. They were unwilling to do it. So what do we do? He's a legend, but he's not that big of a legend. So what are we going to do? Uh, what was important to Ferriotego, to us, was that so, we have to be here. Yeah. This is the first opportunity to be with our peers in, in almost two years. We have to be here. Yeah. And so if that means that we have to be here differently, that's what we have to do. I commend you for taking it. So we had already, do it. we had spent the money, we had, we had invested in our membership. It was one of the first things we did once we formed the company was we joined PCA mm -hmm. immediately. And then we made sure that we had our deposit for our booth immediately. We, we didn't even, we had, we had no plan. But we right. still made sure that we were set up with this association. Whether you're, you got product or not, you're going to the show. We're going to be. We're going to the show because this show really is the bread and butter and and the lifeline of this industry, in my opinion. Like if, and I, maybe you don't agree, but when I came here my first time, I was like a kid in a candy store, walking around looking at the amazement of the booths. My jaw was practically open the whole time, and somebody came around a corner and saw the expression on my face and said. Are you new here? First day? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was Lena Fuente. And I'm like, yes, I am. I, I can remember that feeling. My first yeah. show, which was Nashville, I think 2003 was my first show. And it was absolutely the same. My experience has changed. Right. I don't come in jaw dropping. Right. But my perspective has changed. And so now I look at, at the show floor as a representation of our industry. Right and think to myself, wow, this is still a very special, intimate, unique industry when you look at this floor. Um, but going back to your point, so yes, this show is the show. Yeah. There, there are lots of shows, and they're all important, and they're all meaningful, and they're all different, but this is it. This but is. the reason this show is the show is because this association is the association. And right. I think this is the work that PCA is doing right now because it's no secret that over the last two or three years, PCA has had some ebbs and flows right. of, um, of identity, of support. But, but let's not forget, the Premium Cigar Association is the association, trade association for the premium cigar industry, full stop. And so what that means is, the PCA is not a seven-day event. The PCA Feels like it. is a 365-day-a-year association. 
And because they are the leading association of our industry, that's why this show is the show. Yeah. So there's obviously work to do as an association. There's work to do as an industry. There are, um, there are a lot of differing opinions on how to make this all better and more meaningful. But when you look at this show, this shows you that we are way closer aligned than we are apart. Right. That's a fact as an industry. So I, there's obviously still work to do, but that's why we're here with no samples and with nothing to sell and with no prices because this is the association right. of this industry and we have to be here and we have to participate. So for you, it's just hugging, shaking, kissing babies, you And know? asking for patience, understanding, and support. Yeah. And we're getting it. It's been outrageous, yeah. man. You've earned it. Well, we're, we're trying to earn it. We haven't earned it as Ferriotego. And I'm not gonna, I'm Correct. not gonna, you know, apply, there's, there's no credit due. We just started over, right? It is what it is. No so, extra credit given until you do the work. So I'm, I'm proud of my time with Nat Sherman. I'm proud of my time with Davidoff. I'm proud of my contribution. I hope that was meaningful for the last 20 years in this industry. But standing in that booth for the last three days as Ferriotego, I don't get extra credit. For, no. for 20 years in the business. So I'm sorry I don't have prices. I'm sorry I don't have product yet. But all I can do is shake hands and, and ask for support. And we're getting it. And I'm grateful for it. I would be as well grateful yeah. for the support of retailers because that retail line is the most important part of your business. And you've had so much experience with that, with like Davidoff and Nat Sherman and building a sales team from scratch and then having to have a portfolio that can support a shop with the proper amount of SKUs that bring people in for new stuff, but also bring people in for the regular stuff, the stuff that I think you said it so well, that they rely on, that they want to smoke every day or want to smoke on a regular basis. And you also said after the pandemic, of COVID, that that's what's going to be the primary driver to get the consumer back into the retail shop. Here's what we have. Let's not focus on releasing a bunch of new stuff. And I know that was all with Nat Sherman, but do you still believe that's what's bringing people back into the shop? What is what does the shop have that I normally always smoke? And let me get back to socializing with my friends. There is a um, a. Uh a cultural common theme that I've we have uh, we have meme stocks now right meme stocks meme stocks these stocks that get shot up people make a ton of money on oh, them oh sure but they're not they're not based on fundamental cores sure the people analyze the stocks and we have no idea why they're why they're rocketing but they are right and we also know they're going to crash but great you can make money at some money. point Right. But you're hoping you're going to catch it. There are meme coins within the crypto world. They show up out of nowhere. There's, there, there's no use case. There's just It's a meme coin and people can jump on, ride it, and then, the, and then they go away. And you have to find the next one. I think there's a culture of meme cigars. And that's not a criticism. Because I think meme cigars, I call them meme cigars, I think they're great. These little one-off, in and out you know, this constant rhythm and cadence of new release, crazy cool. You know, I think it's an unbelie Small, unbelievable limited. model. I think it's great. Yeah. 
But that's not our model. Right. Our model is once that cigar of the month sells out, you know you can come back to us. We're core. So if you look at Metropolitan, for example, our Metropolitan Connecticut has been made consistently since 1995. The same with our host, Metropolitan Host, Isn't 1994. That having an anniversary, the Metropolitan brand is. It, it, it is. I'm not sure we're going to be organized enough to celebrate it, but it is. Well, how many years has it been in? It was 1994, 1995. So we're, we're actually now approaching 30, 40, 40, 1994, 2024. We are going to approach uh, a pretty big anniversary. Wow. Timeless is celebrating 10 years next year. But we need things that we can depend on and rely on in our lives. You go to your doctor because that's your doctor. You go to your dentist because that's your dentist. You don't change dentists every time you need a cleaning. You don't change doctors every time you don't feel well. Right. Because you have a relationship that you trust. That's a philosophy that, that we've believed in that probably predated me at Nat Sherman, but I shared. It's one that I embraced throughout 10 years of Nat Sherman, and it's one that we are absolutely going to embrace at Ferry Otego. This is not uh, Cigar of the Month. We have brands, and this is what's so interesting about Ferry Otego is because we were able to acquire these brands, we were able to carry on the legacy. It's a legacy of consistency, and it's a legacy of dependability. Right. That's an awesome responsibility to carry on. Yeah. So. Moving forward, we are going to continue to do the work we've done. Creating a blend is not an easy thing to do. No, and Maintaining I that experience for 25 years is infinitely more difficult because the materials are changing, right. and yet the experience every time you light it has to be the same. But that's something that we have been able to do now since, let's say, 1994, it's something I've participated in since 2011 with Nat Sherman, and that's because we have great partners, Quesada, Placencia, and Davidoff. They do the hard work. We get to work closely with them to make sure that we're all on the same page, and together we're fully aligned on what's most important, which is quality and consistency and behavior of blend and experience, and we're going to do that again for another 10 years and more. Right. We're fully committed to that. Yeah. You talk about that legacy, and Tim, one of the owners of Bovida, had told me the Nat Sherman brand, when a baseball player would hit a home run. When a football player would score a touchdown. When a football player would score a When the score Giants a scored a touchdown. When the Giants yep. would score a touchdown, they would say, buy that guy a Nat Sherman cigar. It was on, uh, the guy's name was Bob Papa. Just predated me. Um, Bob Papa on, I want to say it was CBS Radio. I think it was CBS Radio. Uh, he's still on the air. Anytime someone scored a touchdown, when they were, when, when Bob Papa was, was the commentator for a game, every touchdown, give that man a Nat Sherman cigar. And I had no, I had, I had no idea because I'm a musician. I don't watch right. sports. I don't know what a touchdown right. is. I don't know what a touchdown is. I can't tell you how many times when I would introduce myself and say I work for Nat Sherman, people would just say, give that man a Nat Sherman cigar. I mean, it was ingrained in culture, particularly really? in the Northeast. Yeah. 
That is so cool. It's yeah. part of pop culture. Yeah. It was incredible. What a weird feeling. Crazy. And also a really amazing point of pride. Exactly. Wow. You can't pay for that. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. I think the, the stuff that is the most valuable is the stuff you don't pay for. Exactly. You can spend all kinds of money on all kinds of great things. None of them are worth more than the things that you just earn. I think well that's, said. that's a, it's a special part, I think, of our culture, that Sherman's culture, and it's gonna be a part of Ferro Tago's culture. We're not gonna take anything for granted. We're gonna earn all of it. We're gonna work harder than anybody, because we have to. Right. Like you said, you can't rest. Can't. Take it to the next level. What is the next level for you that you've, do you feel like you know it or is it just going to be something that organically happens and you know you're going to push for always the best? Man, if we have learned anything in the last 24 months, it's that whatever you think is going to happen is not going to happen. <laughs> so all you can do is be as prepared as possible for the fact that anything can happen. And let's face it, you can be as prepared as you want it to be in 2019, gearing up for 2020, and as prepared as you are, or were, you could not have seen a global pandemic that right. would shut down the world and kill hundreds of millions of people. Right. And what I've taken away from that is, you need to work really hard you need to be really prepared. You need to think outside of the box. But you also need to understand that there are things in this world that are just beyond your control. And you have to concede that things are going to happen. And it's how you respond and react to those things that allow you to win. Right. We had a great business with Nat Sherman International two years ago. We went out of business. Not because our product was bad or because sales were down. It was things that were beyond our control that forced us to close. Our response today is we have a company called Ferry Otego, but if you ask me in 2019 what my plans were, I can tell you for sure it was not between you and me, I'm thinking I'm gonna start my own cigar company, I'm gonna call it Ferry Otego, I'm gonna buy these brands. It wasn't in the cards. Right. It wasn't in my mind, it wasn't a goal, it wasn't... But, you have to deal with the facts of the day, you have to get above the chaos and look at your options, and then you have to make the best decision with the information you have, and go forward. So, all I can tell you is, two years from now, we're gonna be in a better place than we are today. Right. I can definitely tell you two years from now, I am gonna have sell sheets and <laughs> price lists and products at a trade show, that's for sure. There you go. But beyond that, I don't know. I have to say though, when I first heard that Nat Sherman wasn't gonna get sold and all the hard work you put into that wasn't gonna to come to fruition, I immediately thought, and, I, and Tim even said it too, why doesn't Michael buy the names 
and start his own company or continue on the legacy. That thought popped into my head right away. For you, when did it pop into your head? So I think it's important. Our, we had very specific criteria for the transaction. Altria was, was very clear. They weren't, this was not a, uh, a money-making proposition. They weren't looking to sell this company and profit. Right. There were a lot of things that forced the decision to exit the premium cigar business and retail business. But they did it, I think, um, regretfully, because they didn't want it to go that way, and with reverence for the legacy. And so the criteria of the transaction to sell Nat Sherman International was a mutually beneficial transaction, number one, but the best outcome for the people in the company, two, and number three, to find a buyer that would carry on the work and embrace the legacy of the brand. COVID made that transaction impossible. Right. But what was never contemplated was just selling the brands. That wasn't the deal. The deal okay. was to find the right fit for the right buyer to carry on the legacy. So when we announced that we didn't sell, we also announced that we did not sell the brands. That, right. that was it, everything's over, and this goes in the history books. But it was following that because now we had to do the work of winding down and right. shutting down, which was incredibly emotional because we were winding down a healthy business. We were, yeah. we were discontinuing healthy brands. That was a, uh, that was a real emotional drain. And my partner, Brendan, who was the former CFO of Matt Sherman, we, would, we were working together almost every day, you know, masked up in an office, in a pandemic, winding down every night saying, you know, this sucks. This just sucks, you know? Yeah. Um, and there, there came a point where we were just spitballing ideas and figuring out what we're going to do. We know we're, we, yeah. we're losing our jobs. And, uh, you know, like, let's, uh, what, if we just tr what if we just ask? Like maybe we just ask, can we? Can't hurt to ask. Would you consider selling the brands? I know you're not selling the brands, but would you consider selling the brands for us to continue the work? And we approached Altria with basically a, a plea. Would you consider selling the brands to us and allow us to continue this work ourselves? And it was met with a resounding yes. Make an offer, let's work through this. Let's figure out how and to do it. And you even got the Shermans involved. Uh, we didn't get the Shermans involved in any in any way other than um, letting them know that we were doing it, but they they were not involved. Right, but you you I thought you had said you had even asked the Shermans like, this is what we want to do. We want to acquire the brands. Are you comfortable with that? And they gave you like a resounding yes. Uh, uh, it was fast forward. It was once we understood that we could. Right. Like once we knew from Altria that we could, then we shared the news. With them, with the Shermans, and we wanted—we didn't want it to be a surprise, of course. Right. That's what yeah. I, I. Sorry. That's yes. what I meant. And then they were ecstatic that you were from, going to do that. From the them. moment we started curating the idea, to the moment we announced it, to the moment um, that we announced our our uh, distribution deal, there has been nothing but a a steady drumbeat of support. It's been unbelievable. I mean, right. there's this real genuine sense that people are rooting for us. And that's a, 
it feels like a very unique thing. I mean, we're, listen, we're a, people say that we're we're a family industry, and you know, we all help each other out, and that's true. But there is something about this that feels very different, right? About the 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 advocacy and the enthusiasm and the way people are rooting for us to win. Um, I don't know where it comes from, but it's definitely real and it's definitely awesome and it's definitely authentic. And if this enthusiasm in any way correlates to sales, we're going to have an inventory problem and, and we're going to have to ask for continued understanding and patience, no different than we're doing right now with no samples and no price lists. Um, because we, we may have underestimated demand. And I, I say that humbly, you know, if yeah. I'm wrong and, and we forecasted correctly and we're going to try and get back to stores and we're going to bang on doors and we're going to ask for the sale, you know, we're going to work hard for this. Right. But if this enthusiasm correlates to what is already in the market for demand, there is an awfully bright light at the end of this tunnel. Whew. It's really exciting. I love how you pose that there's a drum beat that's happening from the outside in to keep you going because you play the drums. The drummer, no. So I love the <laughs> fact that now people are playing the drums for you to keep you going. Man, there is, there is nothing more important in any great performance than the rhythm section. Yeah. You need a great bass player and a great drummer. But nothing kills a performance than a drummer and a bass player that overplay. Right. It's all about making sure that the rhythm feels good. And if it feels good, you've got a very happy audience. But the minute a drummer starts throwing his sticks around and the bass player starts going crazy, it becomes a distraction. And then it becomes a gimmick. And then this band sucks. Right? True. I think that's a learned discipline as a drummer i spent a lot of time overplaying i spent a lot of time trying to get attention sure that's not my job as a drummer my drummer is my my job as a drummer is to produce a foundation of rhythm right that makes everyone feel good and that makes the show right when i look at my career i spent a lot of time being young and looking for attention and doing it all wrong it was authentic for me in the moment right but i wore crazy suits and i I did everything i could do to get attention and that becomes a distraction and when you are distracting it becomes a negative right at this point i just want to be a disciplined drummer i want to keep a very steady rhythm that people feel and I want, I want folks to, to be around our brand, to be around our products, and I just want it to feel good. When you hear Sweet Caroline, that is a great song. You no one it. talks about the drum part on that song, right? Because it just has to feel good, and everyone sings it. The reason it's great is because the drummer and the bass player do exactly what they're supposed to do on that song, and they make it feel good when you get to that chorus and everyone sings it. Yeah. 
<laughs> Our job today as Ferry Otago is to not be distracting. It's to be your favorite song. That's it, to have steady rhythm that makes you feel good every time you select it, every time you cut it, every time you light it, and it's as good as the last one you had, and it's as good as the first one you had. That's our job. I love it. <clears throat> and it's gonna work. Yeah. Or Very at least cool. I, I hope it will. Yeah. Michael, I don't think we could end it any better than that. What's coming from Ferriotego is going to be amazing. You're working hard for it. We appreciate you picking up the legacy that is Nat Sherman and carrying it on. Just a resounding thank you. Thank you. Thanks for this platform. I mean, thank you for doing what you do and allowing little guys like me to have a, a, a platform and, and talk to people and, and just ask for consideration. That's all I would ask for. One shot, maybe two. I think it's worth it. I hope it is. It's definitely worth it. Thank you. I appreciate you, man. Yeah. Ferriotego.